Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE that gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. Joe Biden is the biggest media candidate of all time. And here's what I mean by that. The other candidates who've ever run in the past, at least in recent memory, when journalism has completely lost its mind, at least they offered something themselves to the table. You could at least see why they rose. I mean, it's not difficult to see why Hillary was the Democratic nominee for president. My goodness, her husband was president for eight years. Then she was a U.S. senator. Then she was secretary of state. I understand what you're screaming at the TV right now, but she sucks. I know Hillary sucks. But you can look at that and at least say, oh, I, I get it. I get it. She's bringing something. If nothing else, she's bringing Bill, who was an incredible politician. Maybe not the best person in the world, but an incredible politician. And then there's Barack Obama. Obviously, I'm not the biggest fan in the world. But you can see why he would rise. Dude had charisma coming out of his pores. Gave a great speech. You can see why he would rise. Joe Biden... If you believe the polls, which I do not, but if you believe the polls, is currently in the lead to be president of the United States of America. And he's nothing. 
It is fascinating. I've been pondering this recently. He's nothing. He hasn't done anything of any significance at all. And this is, with all due respect to the state of Delaware, it's not an incredibly powerful state in the United States of America. He was a senator there for 30 years. But even then, you really never heard his name before until Barack Obama made Joe Biden his vice president. You never heard Joe Biden's name before. You know you didn't. Don't lie. So how did he get here? Barack Obama picks him to be VP because Barack Obama, in general, even though Joe Biden screwed this whole thing up, in general, you need your vice president to balance out your ticket. And Barack Obama viewed his deficiencies as being, one, he had no experience at all, especially in foreign policy. And Joe Biden had been, you know, overseas a thousand times as a senator. And Barack Obama was black. He needed a white dude, was worried about making sure he got enough white people in there. Okay, fine. That's politics. I get it. But even then, what did he do as vice president? What did he do? Nothing. He's never done anything. And now, fast forward to this, Joe Biden's the Democratic nominee for president, and he won't even campaign. It's not only that he hasn't done anything in the past, he's doing less now than he ever has before. And you can say that's because his brain is turned into tapioca pudding, and that's probably true. But the truth is, this entire candidacy, all of it, is a media creation. It's held up by the media, and the bad parts of it are being completely protected by the media. And this scandal, this scandal with his son and the payoffs in Ukraine and China, remember, I warned you, I told you last night, I told you, this is going to get worse. It's getting worse. It's not going away. Trump's out there blasting away about it. Because I'm not just running against Biden. We're not just running against Joe Biden. We're running against the left-wing media, and we're running against big tech. And they all said, and I've heard this, and I kept hearing about the power of big tech, the power, and they were against us, as you know, four years ago. But I won. I said, how can they be powerful? I won. I never did this before, and I won. How the hell are they powerful? But now they've gone totally crazy. They've done things now that they wouldn't even do, and they got caught. They have. And yeah, they get caught. But think about this. Wrap your mind around this when it comes to Joe Biden. This scandal, which could be, it could turn out to be, and it's looking like it might be, the biggest political scandal of our lives, at least one of them. Big tech, Facebook and Twitter, they banned the sharing of the article that broke the story. Wrap your mind around that again. Remember, every part of this story so far has been verified. We have it now turned into multiple law enforcement agencies, including the Delaware State Police and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. There hasn't even been a solid denial from anybody accused in here. In fact, the longer we've gone, the more people come out and corroborate all this stuff. And big tech banned people from sharing it and banned the New York Post who broke it. Even if you don't believe it, even if you're a card-carrying Democrat, that should frighten you. That kind of censorship should frighten you. Even Senator Johnson's out there talking about it. This is very troubling. What, What astounds me is how the press continues to ignore this. You know, we issued our report... And the the press just ignored it. They said, well, there's nothing illegal here. Well, it's not my job to prove illegality. My job is to do oversight, get get information to inform inform public policy, but also to inform the public. We gave the the press, we gave the public a treasure trove of information that is very troubling, that is just crying to be investigated. They did. And, And that's what's amazing about this candidacy. The media just decided, no. No, we're not reporting it. And virtually everybody else is looking at them saying, what, what do you mean you're not reporting it? This is the former vice president. He, he is maybe two weeks away from being elected president of the United States. This is verified information. What do you mean you're not reporting it? Well, it's not, it's not important. You saw the whole Trump 60 Minutes debacle where he presses her on it. Why won't you report it? She said, well, we can't verify it. Trump's dumbfounded. He says, what do you mean you can't verify it? It's right here. Well, it can't be verified. 
wait, what? I'll tell you, more and more, I do. I feel like I'm living on a separate planet. The White House press secretary, Hogan Gidley, he nailed it. I'm not sure why uh, Joe Biden continues to be given cover by the mainstream media for the things he says. Listen, if Donald Trump gets a biased, unfair, ridiculous question from the media and calls them fake news, the media goes apoplectic. But Joe Biden can literally accuse a reporter of being a cocaine junkie and say that all African-Americans are the same. And the media says nothing about it. It's absolutely ridiculous. I wish they gave us the same level of cover and protection. If we, there's one thing we know about the media, it's not just that they're liberal, it's that they protect their own. And make no mistake, Joe Biden is one of them. He is pushing the most radical socialist agenda we've ever seen from the Democrats in history. He's right. He's right. This entire campaign is a media creation. It's held up by the media. It's protected by the media. Joe Biden is a shell of a human being with no accomplishments on his 8,000-year D.C. resume. And now, mired in scandal. This is, more than, any, more than any other candidacy I know of, a complete media invention. And that is media power. And that's why you should be wary of these people. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. we got a great show for you tonight. We'll be back. Joining me now, co-founder of the National Diversity Coalition, Bruce Lavelle. Bruce, is free press a bad idea? Uh, no, we need we need press. Uh, we need to hear the truth. If we can get the truth anymore, listen. I grew up in an era of Walter Conkright. Growing up as a little boy, like and that's the way it is. Tuesday, November fifth, and he took his glasses off, and that was the gospel. Jesse, we gotta get that back. OMG, will the real journalism please step down? Is it door number one or door number two? So we desperately need the press. We need it, but we need authenticity. We need organic. We need the truth, Jesse. Why don't we have it, Bruce? Do the people not want it? I mean, because in general, look, this is television. If, if, if I stop being interesting, people change the channel, and they should. Is that what people don't want? Do people not want that? Listen, because all I, think, I see I mean, out there now is garbage. I think they've been drinking too much of my favorite, one of my favorite movies by Jack Nicholson, uh, when he was the, the Marine, when he said, you can't handle the truth. You know, I think they actually bought into it, Jesse. I don't know. It's like, I really think they've drank all the Kool-Aid and didn't share with anybody in the room and add for seconds and, and just drank until it was no more to drink. And they believe in this. But, you know, listen, I know I'm joking a little bit, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I think uh, the American people, especially the people who are looking at the president, especially the people who have voted for the president, especially for people like me since 2015, the president's OG, been there since the beginning, you know, they understand that this is a living, breathing American revolution, Jesse. This is the this is the pay to plays that's being exposed by Hunter Biden and his dad. They're not the only ones, Jesse. There are many, many, many more on both sides of the aisle that have been taking money, selling their seats for access and selling their seats for votes, selling their seats for stocks, selling their seats for everything. And the president said in 2015, Jesse, that he would expose the pay to play. He would not take money from special interests or lobbying. Did they not believe him, Jesse? Did they not believe? Oh, they think he was just making that up? Oh, he's just saying that. He's being like any other politician. Uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Jesse, look what's going on. Billions of dollars of regulations being cut. Lowest unemployment in my lifetime, Jesse. Watch this, Jesse. Watch this. And everybody out there, lowest black unemployment in the history of the United States. Jesse, they started recording it in 1972. So I think it goes back to the 1800s. So look, at the end what? of the day, you can't just take the president's record away, as I always say. Stop getting caught up in all the emotions. Pay attention to the numbers. I'm a business guy here in Atlanta for 27 years. We look at balance sheets. We look at profit and losses. What do you think the president does? He takes the nation and says, oh my God, we're at a loss. What does he do? He makes it profitable. It's a businessman making business decisions, Jesse. 
Break it down for me. I, 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 see, I, see, I see these numbers in there incredible. You mentioned the black unemployment, Hispanic unemployment. Uh, the yep. numbers across the board for people who have not actually had a great run under Barack Obama, even though he championed that he was, you know, the king of them. Donald Trump has dominated. Why? What specifically did he do? Why is Hispanic unemployment so low? Why is black unemployment so low? Why, why are these numbers the way they are? But Jesse, I have to hit it again, brother. My brother from another mother. He said, I will go in and sacrifice my business, my wealth and everything around, take all the darts and everything thrown at him to serve the people of the great nation of the United States of America. And that's what he did, Jesse. And he did not get on the take. He did not take pay to play. So what that being said, Obama, Bush and all the generations came in and their candidacy, Jesse, watch this, was birthed on special interests, pay to play, funded their campaigns. Now, when you get in office, remember you owe us, not President Donald J. Trump, sir, and everyone watching, no, sir. They thought like, well, he's just gonna do that and he'll get in there, he'll be just like everybody else. No, he didn't. He kept his promise, Jesse. That's the difference between Donald J. Trump as the president uh, former President Obama, former President Bush, and the list goes on. Now you have the king who sits in the in the Oval Office as the as the interrupter. Uh, excuse me, we're interrupting all of this mess. All of y'all are getting somewhere, and that's what happened, Jesse. And that's why I said this is a living, breathing American revolution. We're all witnessing it right here. All the things that were stolen and taken away from the great from these great people in this great nation on all the backdoor lobbying deals and all the, the backdoor and side doors and front doors and top doors are being compromised and being exposed, Jesse. This is what this president is doing. So, hey, buckle up, hold on, because the train is going high speed all the way to November 3rd. Bruce, I need you to explain something to me. Why is Donald Trump such a good foreign policy president? Now, I, I, look, I'm not one of these people who, who poo-poos anything he did before, and I thought it was great. But I, when he got elected, I voted for him, of course. I wasn't sure. I did not think I would get the greatest foreign policy president of my lifetime. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why he is. I, I have no idea why whatever he does works, and it didn't happen before. Why does it work? What happened? Because he's the boss. You saw the video the first month or two when he came in office, when that group of the, the, the leaders from across the country walking through the hall, he's like, oh, excuse me, uh, excuse me, excuse me, uh, hello. And I, I say that because that's strength, Jesse. I'm in charge. You want to call me the leader of the free world? By golly, that's what I'll be. So they think that he was just going to come in there and do like the normal people in the past that did. No, he went in there and called it out. Paris Accord, here we go again, Jesse. Let's look at the balance sheet. Paris Accord, oh, how much are you guys spending on NATO? Oh, whoa, wait a minute. What are we getting for our dollar? Jesse, remember they were gonna spend all this cash on hundreds of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars for this big elaborate uh, building over in Israel? And he got on the phone and made the deal and spent, what, $100,000 and put the capital of Israel as Jerusalem. Remember that, Jesse? That's a business deal. You know, that people see that and they're like, the, we just had the UAE flight to Israel. I have friends all over Israel. My business I do, we're linked to Israel. The business I have in Atlanta, I have a lot of friends over there, ecstatic. That he says, watch this, Jesse. He goes over to Kim Jong, right? And then he breaks out an iPad and he tells Kim Jong, he said, listen, look at your beaches. Wouldn't you want to put some condos? <laughs> and he, Kim Jong's like, wait a minute. You're right, <laughs> you know? And so he, he, it sounds so simple, but he's telling all the, even even Baran and the UAE is like, look, okay, you can still hate each other, that's fine. But if you wanna hate each other, let's do some business. And you can still hate each other, but you're making money, you're having economic growth and you're opening up the trade. Common sense, Jesse. Oh my gosh, the list goes on. So these are common sense approaches. You don't go to school to learn this. You learn this in the school of hard knocks called being an astute businessman, a businessman that took the generational wealth from his dad, Fred, and Fred's dad. The same generational wealth I took from my dad that's teaching my son and my daughter and my granddad. That's essentially who we are as Americans. And that gets back on this subject about black, low black unemployment. I'm gonna pivot on this. And the reason why President Trump's doing so well 
in the black community and rising, especially in black men, Jesse, especially that, is because the platinum plan, a half a billion dollars worth of resources to the underserved communities, Jesse, opportunity zones, it's, done, it's nothing like you've ever seen before. The president says, hey, uh, we're missing retail commodities in your communities. You should own the gas stations. You should own the grocery stores. You should own the retail commodities, Jesse. Think about that. When you go to other type of communities, whether it be Asia, uh, Chinatown, Koreatown, whatever you want to live, God bless, you can live anywhere you want to live. But if you choose to live in a, a more heavily dense culture of your culture, you should own the grocery store. You should own the convenience store. So this message pushes out there in these underserved communities. It's a game changer, Jesse. So going back from domestic back to foreign, these are business decisions, sound business decisions. And that's what makes this president so successful. Bruce, on the black men thing, I saw, I read something on it the other day. Someone had done some polling on it and saw that Donald Trump was killing it with black men. I mean, as far as Republicans go, as, as good as Republicans can do. And I was curious about it. So I call up an old Marine buddy of mine, black dude, and I asked him. I said, off the record, not going to give your name. Why? Help me understand this. And he said, in, amongst black men, they love counterculture people. They love somebody who's willing to, for lack, he, he called it the middle finger. He said they love somebody who's willing to give the middle finger to everybody, and they find that appealing in Donald Trump. Was he full of crap, or do you buy into that? Oh, no, it's, it's true. Uh, Newsflash, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, what am I? Anyway, anyway, no, I wasn't trying to be sarcastic, but Jesse, great point here. The, the bottom line is, is the president saw, back in 15, I was in his office in Trump Tower, many, many meetings. I've flown with him. I know him. He's a friend. And one of the conversations out of a two and a half hour meeting on the 26th floor back in August of 2015 was that a little over 110 pastors were present also in that room, in his big conference room on the 26th floor. And he said, you know, the disconnect, the biggest problem in, in black communities is, I said earlier, earlier in the segment, is a lack of retail commodities resource. Traditionally, most politicians want to come in and promise the black community jobs and all that, but Donald Trump's like, well, no, you can build your own business, which is 30.6 million businesses, small businesses, Jesse, right here in the U.S., which, by the way, me, out of that 30.6 million, represents 64 to the GDP. Now watch this, Jesse. So he basically sees that, he calls that out. But he also said there, there's an imbalance in our judicial system where men are in prison for 10 and 20 years for marijuana? He said this, Jesse, back in 2015. I was there. So he's talking to all these pastors. This pastor's scratching his head like, oh, my gosh. You know, they couldn't really believe it, and a lot of them were still, still drinking that Kool-Aid, and they, they, they drunk on it, and they, they, they need to go, get, go to rehab and get off of it. Well, that's another subject. But he called this out, Jesse. And then also, I'm 56 years old. I know I don't look it. I know don't smoke, don't drink. That's probably why. Got a great wife, wow. 28 years. But the point of it is, is that he also realized my generation, Jesse, had 75, 80% of a mom and dad in the household. In this day and time, there's been a shift and a disconnect. Less than half of black Americans don't have a mom and dad. It's like 20%. So there, there, there you have it right there. And what happened? Was it, could it be a, could it be part of some really bad liberal poly, policies from, as I call it, the generational curse, Jesse? Could it have been systems that were put in place for failure? True fact, watch this on the Jesse Kelly Show for all your viewers. They have a policy where you have uh, a black woman in a home. She has, you know, child, whatever. She gets incentivized through government subsidies. But the rule is you can't have a man in the house. What does that do for the family? How does that, what does that do? What, what does that do, Jesse? So President Trump said, wait a minute. We gotta, we gotta bring the bros back. <laughs> yeah, you do. And bring back the nuclear family. I'm a nuclear family. Great wife, great kids, great dad, great mom, great grandmother. You know, I'm six generations of death to you part in a marriage. My, I married my beautiful bride who has six generations of death to their part. So we have a generation of marriage and covenant and being together. This is the message that the president's pushing out there. And this is what's transcending in the black man. Because once the black man is stronger in the home, the wife will follow. The black woman will follow. That's in any home. It's not like you're trying to rule someone or sorry, your woman, you're going to be submissive. No, it's a team. It's a partnership. It's, it's, a, it's a covenant. 
And that's the disconnect that's created such a, a mass destruction in black America, Jesse. And I can go even deeper to this. The 1994 crime bill that Joe Biden wrote, Jesse, and authored, and authored, and then made comments like making very racial, harsh comments about what he was doing. Then he went over there and got Slick Willie to sign the bill called the Clinton Crime Bill, which, guess what, Jesse? It created the largest mass incarceration of black America in the nation's history. Jesse, hear me on this. And we have him as Bruce the nominee. Lavelle. This is why the answer to your question tonight. is why black men are gravitating to Donald J. Trump, because black men say it like this, Jesse, because Donald Trump keeps it real. That's what they like. Bruce Lavelle, you are the best, my man. We'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate you. All right, appreciate it. Thanks. We'll be back. Joining me now with the Media Action Network, Ken LaCourt. Ken, can Joe Biden, I asked this as, as you're somebody who's been around the block, you know politics. Let's say Joe Biden actually is elected. Is it possible to kind of get him through the job knowing his extreme physical limitations? I mean, the guy takes four days to prepare for a debate. He clearly can't handle the job like Trump does it or like Obama did it or Bush. But are there enough people around him they can kind of prop him up and get him through it? I think so. I mean, look, you're going to have the entire press corps turn on a dime. Instead of being somebody who says the president must answer for everything he ever says, we'll basically have 10,000 press secretaries and they're all going to be working for the mainstream press. So they will do their best to support him. Of course, you know, Kamala Harris's people will be going up to him, you know, behind his back and clapping every once in a while to see if he has a heart attack or whatnot. <laughs> but uh, uh, look, if, uh, if in West Wing we could have a, a president with cerebral palsy or whatever you had, they'll do their best to, uh, to, to hide Joe. Speaking of the media, I have this theory, and it's just a theory, but I know you're more than willing to poke holes in my amazing theories, so I'm going to throw it out there. I feel like we are in an extreme media bubble world where there's so much of it now. Everybody has a show and a network and a podcast and a this and a that. There's just there's 8 trillion voices, more voices than there have ever been, that we have a media bubble created by Donald Trump where he's so polarizing, love him or hate him, he's artificially holding up a bunch of people and some entire networks on his own, and they're going to fall flat on their face as soon as Donald Trump is not there to cover 24 hours a day. Am I wrong? Well, for Pluto, I hope you're wrong. Um, uh, look, I, I think that, um, you know, certainly President Trump has made politics more and I'll use the broad-based word, interesting, um, um, than, than would be otherwise. Um, I don't think that the media division will disappear. I actually think that that's going to be just as bad as, as ever. I actually think that the media division created Donald Trump more than Donald Trump created the media division. But he's certainly, you know, how often did you come home and say, oh my gosh, I can't tell you what George Bush Sr. did today. He, you know, he... He said, you know, he got a different kind of Earl Grey tea. I mean, so, you know, certainly there is, uh, there, this, this president has boosted the ratings on, on politics all over the place, just like a big soccer player might do the same for, for his team. Is he an outlier or is he a preview of what's to come? I, I, I say he's a nice version of what the GOP will nominate in the future, but maybe I'm wrong. You know, I, I think that the, it, it is... A lot of people think that, well, all this craziness is just about Trump, and I actually disagree with that. Again, he ran for president a couple times, and nobody cared. You know, he got a percent or two, or nobody took him seriously. It wasn't until the 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 playing field got so polarized that that the media d decided to stop being the media and decided to stop being, you know, start being political players. 
And and that's when when America turned to somebody like this. I think it's going to take somebody like this on the Republican side again to bust through and and basically be able to say, yes, I understand that 90 percent of the press is actively working against me. And the way that I win them isn't by trying to convince them that I'm not a racist seven days a week. The way that I win them is by, by putting my fist in their face. Um, so you're going to see, uh, you know, the Tom Cottons are going to are going to are going to rise to the top. The uh, probably the Ted Cruz's uh, would rise to the top in a in a Trumpless uh, in a Trumpless world. Although you know what, somebody floated it out there not too long ago. If he loses, uh, maybe Donald Trump will run again for president. I know Ted Cruz. I know him well. He's a friend of mine. But Tom Cotton, I don't know well. He is a completely unknown entity for me, and I keep hearing his name pop up, especially amongst the Trump people. Tell me about Tom Cotton. Give me a little 101 on Tom Cotton. You know, I'm not 100% sure I'd recognize him if he walked into the room. I think I would, yeah. and I had never right. heard of him. But then he, he started saying some of those things that, that it's like, you're not supposed to say this, but it's true. You're not supposed to say that the flood of two million people coming up from Mexico might have a lot of murderers and rapists and bad people in it, in addition to, to good people. And even though that's true, we're not supposed to say it. So when he came out and was one of the first ones saying, everybody's acting like this, this virus didn't come out of a Chinese virus, out of a Chinese lab. The one lab in the world where they're studying coronavirus is, you know, a mile away from some some place where it's supposed to, where some bat was supposed to have pooped. Come on, give me a break. Uh, he's come out, you know, coming out and, and saying, hey, if these cities keep going crazy, we might have to bring out the National Guard, something that, you know, 60, 70 percent of Americans are like, yeah, it might be nice to have, you know, people not bashing windows as they put their BLM hands in the air. And, and he was treated like a pariah for literally saying normal things. So the, the guy or gal with the guts to speak the truth when everybody says, oh my gosh, you're a whatever, a racist, a conspiracy theorist, a, you know, there's the ists are all ready to go. I think that that puts them, you know, there's only a minority of politicians uh, uh, who, who are willing to do that. And, and no politician who speaks the normal gobbledygook can be elected uh, against the, against this machine. Uh, God bless our vice president, but Mike Pence, even though he did great in the debate, he comes out there and he gives the typical America's doing great and blah, 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 blah. They'll bury him. A, a, a go-along, get-along candidate cannot win anymore as a Republican because he's just facing the headwinds. He's got to punch the press in the face. He's got to say those truths that will get him called nasty names or her. Do Republicans realize this? Because I don't see a lot of it, Ken. I, I see a whole bunch of losers who think this is the old day and they just want the Donald Trump era where everything makes me uncomfortable. I think they just want that era to be gone so they can go back to doing what they were doing. Yeah, good news is the, the, the Republicans you described, 80% of them live in the Beltway. Um, um, I think Beltway Republicans hate the president and and the people who were part of that system, the people who are part of the swamp. Let's let's be honest. I mean, I mean, I saw that in the, in Washington D.C., Trump got four percent of the vote. All right, he got double or triple that in San Francisco. So think about that for a second. How much that swamp physically and, and, and metaphorically hates him. So yes, the the Bill Crystals of the world who are like, oh my gosh, my think tank isn't doing as well. But yes, that's what they think. But most Republicans in, in, a, in, a, in a country with 330 million people are, are, are thinking a little bit more aggressively than that. And they're going to turn to, uh, you know, in a post-Trump world, whether that's in two weeks or, or three years on the campaign trail, they're going to be turning to somebody with, uh, I think, still with a more muscular way and approach to politics. Ken, how can we possibly move forward as a country when, as you just pointed out, okay, 96% of D.C. voted Democrat in the last election. That's where all the federal government workers are. How can we survive like that when the entire federal government is packed full of Democrats? And have we seen for the last four years, we'll work to actively, because there aren't passive Democrats, we'll actively work to undermine a Republican president. It'll be somewhat problematic, but let's look at the last uh, 3.8 years. I mean, in, until they COVID crushed the country, the economy was going great. Um, um, you know, 
this president learned to ignore the State Department. They're, well, you should do this, you should do that. And and that worked pretty well uh, with, with our relationship with our, our European allies, where they're actually starting to pay some of their bills, with going after China in a way that would make everybody in the State Department puke, which, uh, you know, calling the fat kid in uh, in North Korea a fat kid and then being the first one to actually have a meeting and be able to to have normal normalized conversations with that, to be able to wipe out some of the, the murdering Iranians that were that were that were murdering Americans and getting a free pass on that. Um, um, you know, you can, you, I can go through foreign policy. I wish the president would do this, but I could go through foreign policy. I could go through American policy and say that despite the bureaucrats not liking him, he sure did a lot. He, he was able to, you know, look at, look at the rules he, he undid in, uh, to make it easier for, for businesses and small businesses. That wasn't because of some government officials or, or the, the bureaucrats going along with it. He just did what he wanted. And, and look, and, and there were even some Republican apple carts he, he upset. You know, Amer- uh, Republicans are, are kind of, oh my gosh, that guy's in uniform, he's a general, he must be a god, he must be the greatest man in the world, right? I mean, you know, we went through enough years of watching Democrats spit on soldiers that that Republicans' natural concept is every general must be a genius. Well, you know, Trump Trump ended some of those guys when he asked them, like, why are we still fighting this war? And I mean, I've got 20-year-old kids who, who haven't lived in America when we weren't fighting an active war in Afghanistan. At a certain point, it was nice to have a president who said, hey, they don't even have roads in Afghanistan. Let's either win this war or get out. And and it's like, okay, you know, I, look, I was all for going after Bin Laden in, in his in his hovel, but dude, that was that was that was 20 years ago. So so he was even willing to go against the military machine as well. And and he, look, I I hope on Thursday the president articulates it. I was was never more disappointed than I was when at the last part of the last crazy debate where he was kicking each other and whatnot. And they were like, why should we reelect you? And he just kind of got onto a rambling like judges and this and that. I mean, he's got a great case to make to the American people. And he put his fist right in the face of those bureaucrats. And and so we were able to survive without, with, without them on board. That's how we get through as, as another, that's how we get through the next four years doing the same. Gosh, I should be a press, Thank you, brother. I, I, I should be a I should be a, a a Republican media guy out there, given the case. <laughs> you should. You might end up making a career out of it. Ken <laughs> the court, everyone. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll be back. Joining me now, as he always does, national security analyst and guy who keeps me sane out here, Dave Reboy. Dave, Joe Biden. I don't think Joe Biden is an anti-American ideologue like Barack Obama was. Now, maybe I've been manipulated. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he's just kind of an old Democrat who's going whichever ever way the wind blows now. But tell me, hit me with it. Am I naive? No, I agree with you. I think it's a mix of going where the wind is blowing by choice, because that's where his party is, and going where the wind is blowing without his choice, just because he's really too out of it and senile um, to know the difference. We've seen him on the campaign trail lately, and he's he's mouthing and parroting a lot of the same far-left nonsense about structural racism and, and racist America um, as, uh, as, as anyone on the far left. Maybe he says it with less conviction, but he says it nonetheless. Explain to me why he's running for president. And I know people say he's been pressured and whatnot. When you're that age and when you're losing your mind, you know you're losing your mind. I mean, I've been around enough old people going through that. They know. Why isn't he relaxing? Why is he on a beach next to you in Florida somewhere, golfing every single morning, you know, nurse in the house, hanging out, bringing him his his pills or whatever he needs? Why isn't he relaxing in his final days? This has to be miserable. What's the point of being president if you can't even enjoy it when you get elected? I don't think people like you and I can relate to this because we're not not this kind of person. But uh, there are folks who just live for this, and and they they live for the power. And uh, I, you know, you you reach one milestone, and all it is is 
another vista, another set of milestones, uh, you know, off in the distance that you have to attain. I mean, the, I think, I think there are a few normal people who are in the House of Representatives, and I think that there are very few people, if any, who are normal, you, you know, non-maniacs who are in the Senate. Uh, and and even running for president, you have to have a certain kind of um, uh, a certain kind of will and determination uh, for power that is just something that not a lot of people have. How do we get better people in government? I, I'm I, and look, I'll be honest. I've about completely given up on shrinking it. It's never going to shrink. It's only going to grow until the whole daggone thing pops and comes down. Is there a way to get better people? Is it possible, or does the profession itself just lend itself to these absolute morons? Well, I mean, look look at it this way. I think we can both take a look at Joe Biden and say this guy, even at best, at absolute best, at, at you know, peak performance Joe Biden, um, never really had a rationale for why he was in public service, as they say, right? I mean, for ideologues, it's different because, you know, you have even someone like AOC or or Bernie Sanders or someone on the other side of the aisle, some, you know, um, folks in the Tea Party who came in and they have ideas. And I mean, Ted Cruz, nobody is mistaking Ted Cruz for someone who doesn't really care and is go along, get along. He has ideas about things. Joe Biden was never this kind of person. You know, at best, even you know, even when, when he had his mental faculties about him. So I think what we're dealing with is what's left really is power and graft. And man, if there's anything that we've seen in uh, in recent days, especially with the release of Hunter Biden's emails and 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 all this stuff, we're able to piece together uh, what Biden was was able to, uh, you know. What what Rudy Giuliani called the, the Biden crime family of ha- setting up his different relatives in in different foreign places to uh, you know that would eventually kick back money to uh, to the boss. I mean, I guess that's a rationale for being in public service because if you can't make an honest dollar, you know, a dishonest dollar will you know be just as good. Do people want a monarchy, Dave? Is that is that human nature to want a monarchy? I'm not entirely convinced that people want republics and democracies and things like that. I mean, even in places where they had them, I mean, like Napoleon's France and whatnot, people wanted monarchies. People, even when they leave them, want them. Lots of people want them. Is this just human nature to want a king? Uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. But I think in late period uh, countries, in late period situations, we'll, we'll, we'll use that word, um, it becomes a lot more palatable because there's a sense in the population, and I know it's happening right now, is there's a sense that we, we can't wrap our arms around this. The government, as you say, is much too big. Um, there's no, um, you know, maybe a monarch, maybe, you know, a, a Michael Anton calls a, a Caesar, could uh, could come along and 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 simplify a lot of this stuff just through fiat, because we look at you know really on both sides we look at our government the way it functions and it seems that everything is broken because really we're in a situation you and I I mean this is the the same thing that you know we we talk about all the time which is that we have two very distinct ways of understanding uh, justice and ways of understanding how government should work in the United States. And we have not reached an agreement on that. I don't think we will reach an agreement on it. Um, you know, so people are kind of clawing for other options and other things that would that would maybe you know save the day and get us back to a place where we feel like these things are manageable for us. So I think it's a really um, it's it's a it's a longing that makes sense. What do you mean, late period empire? What are you talking about? So it's not a new concept that you have, let's say, the you know the, the stages or the rise, um, you know the, the the rise and fall of of societies. They go through different, um, they go through different um, 
uh, periods. Uh, a lot of different people have spoken about this from uh, Machiavelli spoke about it and Plato spoke about it. And even, I guess, more most recently, Strauss and Howe wrote the fourth turning about the, the four cycles of generations in, in American history. And it's, it's, it's sort of this idea that, you know, the, 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 found, the, the, um, it's this idea that, that really the, um, the, the steam on which this whole thing runs is, you know, has to expire at some point when people have really, uh, tethered themselves from the old ways and the things that founded the country in, in the beginning. And this thing has to really start again, and it starts again in a, a different, um, you know, in a, in a with a different set of circumstances. It doesn't necessarily always mean war. It doesn't necessarily always mean the collapse of the society, but it is a restart of a kind, uh, you know, a a restart in terms of values, in terms of um, of of how we we understand ourselves. Um, you could say that we're going through one now. I think that would be very accurate. Um, the, the the Marxists have been talking about late late stage capitalism uh, for the last several decades, but I think we're really in kind of late stage American empire right now, where we are the top dog, we are the hedge, the, the the global hegemon, but. On one hand, we don't want, we really don't want that job. And on the other hand, we don't feel like we're qualified to run because frankly, we're not. Uh, it's, it's been a long time since the age of the, you know, the, the, the hard guys came back from World War II and, and really built things. You know, there's a sense uh, on really everyone's part that, hey, we're a nation of you know, website programmers and coders and BuzzFeed click, clickbait, you know, uh, 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 journalists. And, um, you know, there is a sense of civilizational exhaustion. And really, that's what you're talking about. But my only question is, my only challenge to you on that, I don't disagree with anything, but we're not a long way away from the World War II generation. I mean, that's 80 years. That's, n that's nothing, especially in the tides. If we're not that far removed from that, how did we get so far removed from that? What? <laughs> that's a rough 80 years. What happened? Well, it's a long time. It's a long time because within that, you've got, uh, you've got what? Three generations. Yeah. And we have... You know, we know it doesn't take long for the education system to, uh, you know, to to produce uh, an entire generation of, you know, let's say crazy people, uh, people who are maleducated. Um, it doesn't take a long time at all. I think that's the the, the really disappointing um, aspect of all this. I mean, Reagan said we're all always only one generation away from from uh, from uh, giving away our freedoms, and uh, and he was right. He was he was absolutely right about that. One generation. God. Dave Rebo, you're the best, brother. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. We'll be back. It's a media creation. Joe Biden's entire candidacy is a media creation. It is astounding to watch. You know, it's so astounding to watch, I'm almost glad I'm here to see it. And I know I've said this before, and I know you say I'm the Oracle, even though I gave myself that nickname. I just cannot find a way where I think that man's going to be president of the United States of America. It's not believable to me. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't happen. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. 
But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.